Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Get to Vet listeners. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell, and with me as always is Mike Riggs. Hey, and today we have a great guest. I'm excited to have him. I've, I've chatted with him before about his organization, and I thought it would be awesome to bring him on and, and talk about it himself. Harrison Bernstein, I'm going to turn it over to him and let him talk a little bit about it himself. So Harrison, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to everyone. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, my name's Harrison Bernstein. I am the founder and executive director of Soldiers to Sidelines. And what we do is we educate, develop, and certify active duty transitioning and veteran service members to become coaches within their community. And we work with multiple sports. And um, the idea is, you know, in transition after military service, uh, serving your community as a coach um, is such a rewarding and fulfilling experience. So it's a way to uh, recognize your renewed sense of purpose and your continued desire to serve uh, by doing what you love. So if you grew up playing football, basketball, lacrosse, what have you, um, you know, you can get involved. And uh, we, we actually, aside from mentoring and developing, we also assist in advocacy to make sure that like, if you want to get a coaching job, um, we will help you go ahead and do that. And most recently, it's actually even morphed into helping our soldier coaches get careers that are sensitive to their desire to continue to coach in the community, you know, because sometimes, you know, practice at the high school level starts at 3 p.m. So can you get out of work at 2.30 so you get to practice at 3 and, and, and coach it up? And um, I think the companies that really get behind that understand that they, they can retain great quality leaders for longer um, because, you know, they're really satisfying their employees' desire to get involved in the community. That's, that's very cool. And I, I think the thing that I liked about this is, you know, for me, I, when I got out, I realized like, Hey, that's, that's one thing I need to do is make sure I, I have a very strong sense of purpose and whatever it is that I'm doing. And so like, you know, the first time that we talked, when you said that, that for me, I was like, yes, absolutely. I can relate to that. Cause I tell that to people all the time and Hey man, seek fulfillment, not money, you know, go out and, and, you know, find something that you're passionate about and go after that because there are tons of rich, uh, miserable people out there. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is we have, you know, the only thing we truly own in this world is, is our time. Right. And so how we choose to spend that is, is really important. Right. And that's, what's going to lead to a more fulfilling life. Now, part of the equation is we have to make money. Like you, you have to put a roof over your head. You have to eat. We have to provide for our families. So, you know, I think sometimes there's this, you know, panacea of, you know, do what you love, right? And you'll never have to work a day in your life. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Except for, you know, how many actors and actresses are out there, you know, 
trying to make a living acting, but doing all these other jobs, like working in the coffee shop, being a bartender, et cetera. And, you know, maybe you want to be an author. And, you know, if you're trying to write a book, it's, it's very, very difficult. And you have to find other ways to make money. So what's wrong with that? Like, why can't we have a job that we, that we like? We actually like doing the, the day-to-day work. Maybe that's not our, our passion, but it gives us a paycheck, which affords us the other hours out of the day to do what we love to do, right? And that's what coaching is. Yeah. And, you know, I guess like that was when I heard about like soldiers to sidelines, I was like, that's, that's something that I had never even thought about. Like, and I'm sure there's probably a lot of other transitioning service members out there who have never thought like, Hey, you know what, when I get out, I'd like to coach sports. A lot of them will say, well, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, work for this police agency or this federal agency or this company, whatever. I, I, you know, very few people I've talked to, have ever probably even thought about like, I want to go coach sports. And that's why I think like what you're doing is awesome because that's just opening up a completely new window of opportunity for, for people that are getting out of the military. Yeah. And it's an opportunity for fulfillment, right? In some cases we do help folks make coaching a career, like go on to coach college sports. And maybe if they're super successful, go up into power five and even into the, the professional levels. Um, but those demands are so rigorous that you know, not everybody can, can make it to that level. However, the opportunity to coach in the community at the high school level, even as a volunteer or at the youth level, I think that's where all the impact is. And that yeah. provides a whole bunch of fulfillment. I mean, I was doing that for the longest time, uh, coaching high school football and really not getting paid for it because it just, it's just so gratifying and, and, I, and I love to do it. So you know, just, and, and it's hard to get those opportunities. I don't know if you guys ever tried to get in sports, but even if you want to volunteer, like you can't just go to the local high school, knock on the door and be like, Hey, I want to help coach. Right. Yeah. The other coaches are going to look at you and be like, well, I don't know you like, get out of here. You can coach it's the water boy. Of, <laughs> say again. You can coach the water boy. Or... Yeah, maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what happens is soldiers, the sidelines acts as the advocacy. So because of, the coaches that are in our network, many times we can call up, you know, a person in Oklahoma or Iowa or Texas and say, hey, we have a service member, we have a veteran here who is trained and these are what his skill sets are and, and she, can, she can do this, um, I think you should interview her. And then usually that coaching staff listens to us, takes our call, grants the interview, and then you know, once you hear them out, then the deal is done. And now they have a coaching opportunity and then can take coaching wherever they want. Nice. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and like how you got into coaching? Well, I got into coaching because I just wanted to be like my high school football coach. You know, it's, it's like anything else, you know, you have a mentor and, you know, I love playing sport. And, you know, I used to look at coach Albert, Mike Albert, Fairlawn High School, in New Jersey. And it was always great. He, he made it fun. He, he made it so much fun. Um, we could pal around with him, but in a in a in an authoritarian way, right? Like so, it was always a respect that he was he was our coach. But you could we had like this friendly, jovial relationship. So it made practice a ton of fun, and it was an opportunity for us to work real hard. And we got to achieve some really uh, impressive accomplishments 
when when I was in high school. So we went from like winning zero games to you know going seven and two my my, my senior year. And I was like, man, this was just so awesome. And I remember him bringing his young kids out to the practice field, and we'd set up drills, and the kids would be kicking the cones over. I just thought it was so cool that like he could have his kids with him at practice, and they were all a part of it. But that always stuck with me. So I got to play college football, and then. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend uh, Johns Hopkins University and, and play football there. I'm really proud of it. And in graduating, you know, everybody was going to Wall Street, right? It was make a bunch of money. And sure enough, we had the fast track to that. Boy, the Johns Hopkins network is, is phenomenal. But I just, for me, I was like looking outside and sunny day and the, the grass is glistening. And I was like, I'm not sacrificing that for anything. So I went, called up Coach Alberk and uh, started coaching high school football with my high school football coach. And, uh, you know, I loved it. And then I got into training. I had some great coaches in my own sports performance uh, development. At Johns Hopkins, at the time, there was a gentleman named Bill Starr, who was our strength and conditioning coach. Now, Bill Starr is one of the most famous strength coaches ever to walk this planet. He's in the York Barbell Hall of Fame coach for the Baltimore Colts when they, they won Super Bowl II. Um, he wrote the first ever strength and conditioning book for football. Uh, he was an Olympic weightlifter, an Olympic coach. And, you know, I hung on every word this guy said. And he developed me to a level that I never thought was possible. So that really gave me the bug, you know. And then just believe it or not, in just pure luck, in my hometown of Fairlawn, New Jersey, there was a guy – like when I was in high school going around in a van asking folks if they wanted to learn how to get faster. And he had like this protocol of like, I'll teach you how to get faster for football. This guy's name was Bill Parisi who founded the Parisi speed school, which is like one of the most nationally recognized uh, speed of movement brands. And so I took to him. So then I just listened to what he said. And then he wound up hiring a guy named Martin Rooney, who's probably another household name in sports performance. And I just wound up training with both these folks. So when I got out of college, I was like, okay, I want to learn more about sports performance and get all those certifications and coach football. So I started doing that. And then eventually Bill Parisi hired me to be their assistant managing director. So Martin Rooney and I kind of led the charge under Bill Parisi's tutelage and um, grew that company. And then I had a Hopkins uh, teammate of mine he was living in Washington, D.C. Uh, he was an engineering major. I was an economics major. He was working for a, uh, a, a venture capital firm at the time. And he was also a Bill Starr disciple. And he was helping with the Georgetown University football team, teaching them how to lift weights. Because believe it or not, I swear to God, in 2002, 2001, Georgetown University did not have a formalized strength and conditioning program. So hmm. he and I kind of teamed up. I had to, I did this, uh, this project when I was in college and it, this is like the beginning of the internet, right? So remember in 2000, like nobody knew what the internet was really going to do. Like, how are we going to monetize it? Remember there was like Y2K, like if the yeah. clock strikes midnight, the whole internet's going to explode, right? That was a thing. So anyway, we figured out ways to utilize some of our Microsoft Excel skill sets in creating these models um, to predict, track, and uh, cultivate strength and conditioning programs. 
And then I wound up moving to Washington, D.C. to implement this at Georgetown University because my buddy wound up becoming the first strength and conditioning coach there. So he and I just took it over. His name's Augie Morelli, brilliant guy. And uh, he and I stood this thing up and was there for two years and happened to know the, the, the brand new strength coach of the Washington Redskins at the time, not the Washington football team, the Redskins at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had known him from my days with Parisi and he brought me out and started working for the Redskins as, as a strength coach. And all this while, man, I just was always wondering, you know, what, what does it take to be the ultimate coach? Like what would be all the sciences you need to know? Right. Surely some physiology, right. Some anatomy, biomechanics. And I had a pretty good handle on all that stuff. But at the time at night, I was teaching in the exercise um, science master's program at George Washington University. And, you know, I got to, you know, dip my toe into all these other different sciences and just dawned on me that there's a lot going into it. And if you want to be the best sports performance coach or the best coach, you probably need to know something about the sport. Right. So, here I am with the Washington Redskins. It's, it's good to know a little bit about the offense and the defense, mm-hmm. right? To then marry bit. the skills, technique, right? It would be good to know that. So, I mean, that had to be part of it. So we started, I started just creating all these curriculums of like cognitive behavioral therapy, sports psychology, neuro-linguistic programming. Um, now it's evolved into motivational interviewing, but then it's biomechanics and it's energy systems and periodization and all this and incentive motivation, behavioral economics fits into all of this. So I started writing all these courses and you know, I would pitch them to George Washington and be like, hey, why don't we, why don't we offer this course? And most of the time they said, no, there's no room for it. Sometimes they agreed or said, hey, you can make it part of the course. But anyway, I had all this curriculum just sitting dormant on my computer doing nothing. And you know, as the NFL goes, you get fired, right? Yeah. We're in the season of everyone's getting fired. Um, so uh, I wound up leaving in 2011, went back to coaching high school football, and I started the sports performance business in, in DC. And I had a buddy say, Hey, here we are. We're coaching high school football. And at the time, it was at Gonzaga College High School in uh, Washington, DC. And we were not really recognized at all. And we actually built that thing up to like seven in the nation. We wound up traveling to like Florida and Ohio and everywhere to, to play teams. And he, my buddy was like, we have all these folks coming back from the Middle East, right? Looking for something to do here in DC. Why don't we teach them how to coach football? I was like, that's a great idea, Matt. Let's do it. He was like, yeah. And uh, we should, we should make it a nonprofit, call it Soldiers of Sidelines and you should run it. <laughs> I was like, all right, thanks for putting that on me. And, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, not doing that. Like, we're going to go back coaching college, you know, NFL, like we're coaches. And he was like, come on, come on, come on. It would be so cool. I always had this vision of doing that. I was like, no way. But anyway, he, he like persisted. And embarrassingly, guys, it took me about six months to realize, hey, Num Num, you have all this awesome content sitting dormant on your computer. And here Matt is telling you, there was this awesome cohort of people who would make perfect coaches coming out of the military. Like, why not give it a shot? So I acquiesced. I was like, all right, let's do, we'll try one. I, I call the shots here on this. Like, I just have to do this seminar my way be, because I like, I just spent all this time putting it together. If you're cool with that, like uh, we'll do it. He was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. 
So we, being in Washington, DC, we had some contacts over at Walter Reed Hospital and they loved the idea. So they opened up like a, one of their rooms for us uh, in one of their buildings and said, go ahead, do this weekend seminar and see who shows up. So we had six guys show up and it was for football. And we had just a tremendous impact and the, the guys loved it. And I was like, man, this felt really, this feels really good. So I was like, all right, the idea lives another year. We'll do another one next year. Anyway, it was a project. Um, but even at the time we wound up, you know, making it a legitimate LLC and then filing for our nonprofit status. We're 501c3. We did everything early and, um, I put all my money into it, which you can imagine was a lot as a high school football coach. Mm -hmm. uh, just so you know, that's, that's a joke. <laughs> just there's, no high there's no, so, so we're like scraping this thing together, just putting all our time in, but we're having such a great impact and, you know, I get back into college coaching and, you know, my coaching career is going up and, you know, we're just getting more and more momentum with this, with these seminars that we're doing once a year. And then we, we, we breached, you know, branched out into lacrosse because, you know, one of my best friends is Scott Urich and who is now our director of lacrosse. And I mean, his name is like a household name in, in the sport of lacrosse. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we can do this for lacrosse too. And sure enough, the lacrosse community just soaked it up. Right. So it grew to a point where, you know, my last year, like two years ago, I was coaching football now at Georgetown University. Interesting, like I swung all the way back to, to Georgetown and uh, the head coach there, Rob Scarlato, was a huge supporter of, of this mission. And uh, I had to resign. I, I told Rob, I said, you know, I'm, I'm gonna stop coaching football and I'm gonna just do Soldiers of Sidelines full time. And that was two years ago and we've just grown leaps and bounds. Like we have like funding now, uh, we're trying to get more funding. We've hired five people. And now we can just produce more and more soldier coaches, but more importantly, we can provide more depth to each one of them. Cause like we have this whole like suite of online courses, you know, that our soldier coaches can get involved in and all these workshops and live events. It's, it's, it's really cool. So anyway, that's a long story of how we got here. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, that's, a, that's a great story. And it's funny that you, you know, you're talking about the, the lag time with the, the Georgetown strength and conditioning program. I can tell you when I came into the EOD program in 2002, we were still doing up until what Trevor, about what, 2010, well, 2012, we were still doing, uh, jumping yeah. jacks, pushups. Uh, I mean, it, it, that, that was the extent of, it was beat yourself down into condition well, wait, first it's go hop in the water and roll around in the sand yeah. and then go do, and then go do all that stuff. It, it, it was, it, it was conditioning by attrition. A lot of times it, it was not conditioning or warrior resiliency type of conditioning is where we're at now in the programs that we've used a lot by the science that folks like you have studied over the years that we've started to implement and it's been somewhat painful to get to this point. And I remember in 2013 or 2014, when we as a command looked at doing this as, as just like a nine week pilot, as a nine week pilot program, I think we were running because the Naval Special Warfare community asked for a whole brand new fitness facility. And they were looking at a whole brand new program and everything. And it went up to, 
I think it went all the way up to Congress through the National Defense Authorization Act. And when it went up to the Capitol Hill, they said, okay, cool. You want all this money? Show us the metrics. Show us the science behind it. What are, you, what are we getting for this money? And they didn't have the, I don't think they had the money and the data to prove to, 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 the, to the folks up in Congress over, you know, to, to really justify spending the cash on it. So they didn't get it that year. So then we started to get smart. I think NSW and we started to get smart on it on, you have to show basically the combine, you know, you have to show the, the, you know, where you're at in the flexibility, where you're at in the weight, where you're at in the body fat percentages, where you're all that, you know, at the beginning, we ran folks through the program and then we did it again at the end. And it was, uh, it, it, it was a huge gain over just a simple nine weeks by running, not, not doing push-up sit-ups and jumping jacks. Now I'm not saying there's not a place for those things, but I'm just saying we got really smart with, you know, the way we were doing the warmups and the, and, and all those, all those programs that you're talking about with the science behind it. And really, because a lot of times in special operations, the, the person is the weapon system, not, not the ship and not the plane, not the tank. It's really the person is a weapon system and you're just putting that equipment on that person. And if you're going to get, you have to, you're putting so much into so much training. You, you, it's really so difficult. And I know that from manpower studies and trying to get recruiting getting folks into these programs is extremely difficult. Getting folks off the street, getting them through the selection process, and then trying to get a 20-year, a 10, 20-year career. I'm finishing a 30-year career. To get folks to this point, you have to really try to figure out how to maintain that throughout. The, and it's it, it will wear you down jumping and wearing body armor, you know, 70 pounds of body armor and, and a rucksack full of explosives and up and down hills in Afghanistan and, you know, doing all that, you really have to figure out the scientific path like you guys have pioneered in the sports medicine world and the exercise physiology. And, and we're finally getting smart on that. And I think it's folks like you that have done that. Well, yeah, it, it's interesting to see like how far the science has come and how just a relatively short time ago is when it, it started. I think, I think George Washington University was the first college to have a strength and conditioning master's track um, where you could actually get a degree in this. And that only started in like 2006 or 2007. And I think Total Force Fitness came on in 2009. Is that correct? When that Total Force Fitness was started? Um, or was that earlier? I'm not sure. I know. Well, there's a, there's a whole bunch of different programs out there. Like the army, I think theirs is called Thor, you know, the, well, uh, yeah, everyone's got their own, their, their own training and their sports performance lines. Yeah. But there was, there was a, a DOD wide um, uniform system called total force fitness that um, was was incredible. I mean, it was like mind, body, spirit. It was like these nine different uh, silos uh, to really uh, make the warrior fit, fit for combat, fit for life. And, and it was such a, a great concept. And uh, But th the point was, that was only like 10 years ago or 12 years ago that we started doing this. And back to your point, Mike, it's, yeah, the, the warrior is the weapon system. The person is the weapon system. 
And so why would we want to damage that through like overuse injuries and battling down? It's like we train so hard out of combat, right? So now we have all these chronic injuries that we're going into combat with. I mean, that would be like having a football team field them intentionally with soft tissue injuries. I mean, we wouldn't do that. Yeah, right? you, should, you should hear me walk down the stairs in the morning. Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> already has its own risk. The um, so so, it's about making making our warriors fit for combat and, and fit afterwards. And this was just a great initiative uh, that that happened at that time. But the other thing I got to realize too is, aside from like the physical periodization to make sure we have the most physically fit folks, in working with special forces, right after I left um, the Redskins at the time, I got contracted to do movement analysis down at um, uh, Trembolo Point for the SUFO, the underwater um, forces um, in Key West. And I was contracted through the War College in DC. So we'd go down there for like 10 days or so, two weeks, and we would you know, just analyze the movement of these guys. And, and so many of them, you know, they're brilliant. They're all doctors in their own right. And um, they're just so type A driven that you'd have to use your own psychological warfare to convince them that is you do not have to run 14 miles a day and then go for a three mile swim and then do all this stuff. There's a, you want to periodize your work, right? And it doesn't have to be, you know, 120% all the time. In fact, that's going to make you less optimal if you do that. So it was, it was really challenging to start to convince folks that, you know, you, you don't have to live up to this, this reputation every single day. Yeah. Right. I, I think it, like in the military, some of those schools, they, they do that because they want that reputation of, of being hard. Like, yeah. Like the special forces selection course, buds, all that. Those are all, that's, I can see why they induce stress there because that's, that's their selection, right? That's the initial, like, okay, um, same thing with the EOD school. Like we're going to put you, we're going to induce a lot of stress into you to see how you perform so you can be trained as a SEAL or as a Green Beret or Ranger or EOD tech or whatever. Um, but, but once you get there, it's, it's not so much about like, let's, <laughs> let's just make these guys hurt as much as possible. Um, yeah, let's, let's start working on, building them effectively. That's I have seen it. And I know Mike's seen it too. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, these guys already proved they belong here. Let's, let's stop hammering them into the ground. Well, this was the thing that I was witnessing. Nobody was hammering these guys into the ground. They were choosing to do it right. There's a place for buds and the cute course and all that stuff. I, I, there, there is a place for that kind of like exposure training. I, I like to call it, but once you make it, these folks were willingly doing it themselves, thinking that they were living up to this, you know, this status, this reputation of having to be like the ultimate alpha all the time. And I get it, like that's why they're there. But trying to explain, you don't have to do that every single day. In fact, you're less alpha by doing that because your performance is starting to come down. Like you're already at the super elite level. Keep the work ethic, but there's a way to like undulate the volume so you don't have all these overuse injuries. Cause like, that's why I was there in the first place. Somebody's got a hamstring or a low back issue or, or something. And they're like, why do I feel this pain? 
Well, because you slept four hours, then you woke up and swam two miles, then you ran 10 miles, and then you went back and then went to work and then came back and did the same thing 10 days in a row. That's why your back hurts. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Oh, it, to, to kind of get back on that, the Soldiers to Sidelines program. So how does that work if, if somebody's interested in, in kind of going through that process? How do they, how do they start that? Uh, it's actually pretty easy. Well, first, you just go to our website, soldierstosidelines.org, and you look at our upcoming seminars. So we have sports-specific seminars. In fact, we have a lacrosse certification seminar coming up January 25th of 2021. Then we actually have a, a women's only certification seminar, uh, really supporting the, the female veteran and uh, service member in March, March 22nd. Uh, and then we'll have, after that, we have basketball coming up in April, and then we'll do football in May, right? And it goes throughout the year like this. So go to the website, see what seminars we have uh, posted. And then all you have to do is register and it's free. So it's free. If you served in the military at all, at any capacity, it's free for you. Just name, email, sign up. Um, but I gotta say, it's not easy. So you, you kind of got to pay your dues and effort, right? So each seminar is a week long, two hours each evening, plus homework and three hours on Saturday. So if you do that, you get certified and then you have access to all, our entire suite of extra offerings, events, um, development, and our advocacy to help you get coaching jobs. And then, so if you if you can get through all that, it's it's worth it. I, I think, especially the the part of your of your program that really resonates with me is one of the stories I have in leadership. I was mentoring this guy that was part of my staff, and he wanted to know what to do next, what to do next. He, and he, and he went and talked to a couple other guys, senior guys on my staff. And he had the opportunity to go out and lead a platoon. And he came and talked to me and I, and I said, uh, you know, this is what you should do. You should go, you should go out to operational units and you should go and lead a platoon. And he said, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just think I want to do something more strategic. I think I could, I could do something more in the community that would be more strategic. And I just, I just couldn't wrap my head around. I, I was like, are you talking like strategic operational tactical levels? I mean, what, what are you really trying to, yeah, I just think I can do something at a greater level. And it really baffled me because I said, so hold on, you are, I'm asking you and giving you the opportunity and you have the opportunity to go and lead and impact men and women and mentor them and train and prepare them to go do one of the most dangerous jobs in the military. And every one of us, who have been in the military remembers our first chief hands down. We remember who, who they were, how they were. Every, it's unforgettable. And that's not, that's not at a uh, operational tactical strategic. That's at a lifelong level. And it frustrated me to no end that this person wanted to turn down that. And I just, I, 
I just love that, you know, I think this program is a perfect way for folks like, like me, like Trevor, like a lot of us in special operations that just want to give back, that want to go out and, and have that impact, continue to give that, you know, have impact on folks through coaching, through mentoring, through being that platoon chief or that, that sergeant major, that first sergeant, you know, because I remember I played recreational sports from the time I was, you know, probably a kinder. I think I started wrestling when I was in kindergarten or first grade and I played t-ball and I played football and basketball and you know I remember those team sports and I think that helps you too as you progress and you get into special operations and things like that it, it just makes that teammate and that team bonding that much easier but I still remember my coaches and I still remember some of the stuff they said and I still remember being intimidated by Woody Wilson my junior high football coach and I still remember Coach Patterson kicking our ass out there doing leg levers in the field in Jackson, you know, at the football field, you know. And I just – and here I am at 40, almost 49 years old. But, you know, I think this is an awesome program in a way of, of folks like us who have been around the block to, to give back. And I just – it's just to have that, you know, that impact that – you know, that you just can't put words to. You can't. And you said it best, Mike. You know, you remember Coach Wilson, your, your junior high school football coach, just like you said, you remember your first chief, right? So one might have a higher status chief in the military versus junior high school football coach, but both had the same tremendous impact on you in your life. And that's the point. And, you know, the story you, you, talk about your colleague, I would contend being a coach, right? Whether you're chief in the military or you're a junior high school football coach, there's a ton of tactical, operational and strategic thinking and problem solving involved in that. It's not just being a coach. Like the way we look at it, the greatest compliment you can get in the world is to be called coach with all sincerity because of that impact that you leave. So how are you, how do you leave that impact? And so we just recently, I just, I just published a book called The Everyday Coach, okay? The Everyday Coach, Harnessing the Magic of Influence. Every single one of our soldier coaches gets this book for free, right? And really what we're discussing, it's a discussion from some of the top leaders in business, generals in the military, right? And sports coaches, right? All throughout the NFL and, and NCAA basketball. I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And what we do is we distill this all down. Like what, what is happening? How can we be the most strategic, tactical, operational coach so that we can, we can influence other people to do what we want them to do because they want to do it. And if Absolutely. you think about that, Every single person is a coach every single day in every aspect of your life. I don't care if you're trying to get your kids to do the dishes, right? You, you want to convince your spouse to go to a specific restaurant on Friday night. All of this is influence. And wouldn't it be great if your spouse was like, hey, honey, you know, let's go get wings and beer and watch football on Sunday. You'd be like, yeah, it's a great idea. So now she wants to do that. And that's exactly what I want to do. Perfect. If right? Mike's wife did that, I would get really mad because that's 
<laughs> that's we. That's time. our thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Encroachment. <laughs> but believe it or not guys there's ways to do that right and and folks sometimes you know we talk about them as soft skills but they're not they're high human skills and and we know through you know behavioral sciences behavioral economics that there's certain tactics that we can do in changing the the pitch and the tempo of our voice right understanding what our demeanors are understanding what our triggers are and how we can uh change the environment to influence the the proactive outcome that we want to have achieved and ultimately it's just influence people to do what you want them to do but because they want to do it and then we're all leaders and we're all coaches in that respect and uh i encourage you to pick up the book to really you know hear what uh, some of these awesome leaders like how they've been able to do that um like general casey who was our, you know, 36 chief of staff of, of the army. Like he, he's all in the book. And, um, you know, we have coach Matt Doherty's in the book. He was a former uh, head basketball coach for Notre Dame and UNC, uh, North Carolina. He played there actually. He's got some great insights. Um, actually, uh, Greg Williams, uh, the guy who just got released from New York Jets is a, is a tremendous influence on, on me and our, in our program. He's got some outstanding insights in culture and leadership and, pick up the book and every purchase of the book, hundred percent of the profit support soldiers, the sidelines. So. Yeah. I'm going to check it out as soon as it's out. No, that's something that you just talked about. Like I talk about that all the time. I think I've talked about it on here a few times. Um, you know, for a lot of transitioning service members, they, it's almost like they get funneled into this. Well, you know, this is what I did in the military. It's probably what I'm going to do outside of the military because that, hard skills versus soft skills, uh, argument, right. I, I personally say who cares what your hard skills are right now. That's stuff you can learn. Like I, I talked to so many people who are like, yeah, I can teach you everything you need to know here in a, a few weeks. But, uh, the soft skills, like you're talking about people that know to how to work with other people and motivate them and be a good teammate and, and team leader. And that's, to me, the stuff that I think is really important. And I, I think a lot of other people who hire people to work with them, you know, would, would agree with that. Yeah. And so much so that I won't even call them soft skills anymore yeah. because like the word soft makes a kind of gives it a connotation that's like a little bit less important mm -hmm. and um, retired Brigadier General uh, John Michelle uh, from the, from the air force he has some great literature out, some books that he has written, and he's a wonderful consultant, and he calls them high human skills. And we talk about this in this book as well. And I will never call it a soft skill. I have adopted that from General Michelle, and it's only high human skill. So the, I like the, that. He says, the more high human we can be, the more we can assimilate into anything. So like you said, Trevor, you, you can learn so much, right? So why would we ever try to limit or or purposely put a ceiling on our capabilities, right? Just because we served in the military or you, you had some career in finance, doesn't mean you, you're not able or don't have the capacity to shift and do something else. Like everybody, all of us, we've amassed so much knowledge over the course of living a life we can apply that stuff to so many different things. And the reality is our, our lives are in our control, right? So why would we ever put a ceiling on it? For everyone transitioning out of the military, 
you literally can do whatever you want. It just might take a little bit more time. And if we can just get over the fear of the unknown, like then the, the world's your oyster. Like you can literally do whatever it is that you want to do. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I had to mute that because my dogs are, I guess the UPS guy is trying to kill us. So. <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely, you know, the, the stuff that you're saying right now resonates with me so hard. And, and I'm glad that we got you on here to kind of talk about that and, and bring what you're doing to light. Cause I definitely think it's an amazing opportunity for what I think is the most important thing when you're transitioning out of the military, like you said, that sense of purpose. Um, yeah. I, I think that that without a doubt is the single most important thing for somebody when they're getting out. I think it's the single most important thing for everybody walking this earth right now. And it's just trying to figure it out. Right. You know, the yeah. thing about the military is, you know, we all go through transitions, you know, how many people, out there in the world right now has been through a divorce, lost a loved one, right? And then that, that's a transition, got fired from a job. You know, for me, a major transition was being a college football player to then not being that. Like my entire life, I saw, I saw myself as this. And one of the big things that we study in soldiers to sidelines for all of our soldier coaches, the difference between identity and role. And if you can separate the two, right, where your role is, uh, a Marine, uh, a sailor, like that's just, you're, you're serving as something you did. Yes, you did it for a sense of purpose and service, but that, that was just something you did. That's not who you are. Who you are is so much greater than that. And that allows us to take on other roles and transition is scary. It, it, it just is. And everyone says, you know, it kind of comes off like tongue in cheek, you know, handle change, Right. Um, the great book, um, Deliberate Discomfort from Mission Six Zero and Jason Van Camp. Like, I, I love that book. Right. And we yep. talk about, you know, being uncomfortable, um, you know, being comfortable, uncomfortable. And everybody says that until you're really freaking uncomfortable. And the other thing is change transition. It's like this. It, it, it's, it's a made up. It, it's a mental construct is what I'm saying. And the, it, you're transitioning from this. Uh, this mental vision of who you think yourself is, and now you're going into something else. So it's a death of your symbolic self and a rebirth to a new symbolic self of who you are. Because your physical being is still here. You're just now doing something different. This, the fear happens in our brain, exactly where this symbolism is coming from of who we are. So once we can get over that, you, you, you empower yourself with so much courage and confidence to, to do whatever you want. And I think when you have a greater sense of purpose, it doesn't necessarily have to be in your vocation. It has to do with like how you live your life. Um, and if you, if you can figure that out, you're, you're gonna live a, a very, very rewarding, fulfilling and loving life. Well, I think yeah. you're, you make great points and I am the one, I'm the guinea pig in the transition here because I retire October 1st. And what I'm finding is having two or three different things to do on my way out as well, two or three different things to focus on. And I'm fortunate enough to have, you know, the military pension to rely on. So it, it affords me a little bit more risk, I guess, but to, to focus on the podcast or, you know, to focus on 
leadership coaching or in mentoring and things like that, or to maybe maybe do another, a third thing or whatever it is. I think that's, that's key. I can just go and do all these different little things that I can, you know, focus on this for a little bit and focus on that for a little bit instead of, you know, for a good part of 20 years in, especially in the EOD community, focusing on leading, preparing and surviving combat and, special operations i mean that's pretty much was our focus for the longest time is uh, especially for a while was uh, just live <laughs> and you know that's the way it was and here we are somehow <laughs> yeah. somehow we made it I, I i tell that story a lot you know i i mean like literally years of my life i was six months in the states six months in iraq or afghanistan like for like basically six years, like literally that was home. And even when I was home, I was at that same thing, right? I didn't expect that I was going to even live to be 35 years old. And there I found myself 35 years old with a wife and two kids. And I was like, well, shit, what do I do now? Right. Um, and, and so it's, it's weird, but, uh, you know, I, I gotta tell you, like this conversation has actually gone a lot deeper um, and, and I'm glad it did because you're, you're saying a lot of good things that not just, you know, things that make you a successful coach or, or part of your program. But I just think that, um, the stuff you're talking about are, these are the things that make somebody a fulfilled person. Um, I guess that's kind of like the, my takeaway from this and, and, uh, that's like, you have some great perspective on that stuff. And obviously, like, I think a lot of that comes from probably a lifetime of coaching, uh, and, and helping people see the potential in themselves. So I'm definitely grateful for having you come on here and, and talk about that. And hopefully the stuff that we talked about will resonate with other people and, and maybe encourage them to kind of take a step that maybe they hadn't, had they not heard this. Yeah, that would be great. And you're, if you've served, you're always welcome and, you know, the reason it's free for service members is because of your story, Trevor, right? It's like you have to go on all these deployments and whether, whether you see combat or not, it's not the point. When you serve in the military, you're giving up your autonomy, your agency. Like when you're in, you have to do what you're told. You have to live where you get placed. And that's a huge sacrifice, right? And so <laughs> the irony about the military is you're transitioning all the time right from MOS to MOS like you're always doing something different and, it, and it's not up to you the opportunity that I hear Mike saying is upon retirement and and or leaving the military this is an opportunity to do whatever it is you want you finally get like your full full and complete agency back and that's a beautiful thing now it could also be very scary but it's it's a tremendous opportunity and so if anyone is also listening and you're, you're active duty, start your transition now. It doesn't mean you're, you're not thinking about leaving, but just use the military to learn all the tremendous skill sets that it has to offer, right? Because like get as many certifications as you can within the service. Like just do it, even if you're getting your, your, your paratrooper uh, certificate, whatever, that is going to give you wisdom to be a computer programmer potentially later down the world. I know you can't connect those dots, but I'm telling you, there's going to be wisdom from jumping out of that airplane that is going to resonate with some kind of code. I don't know how, 
but that's just the way that life works. And then when it hits you, you're like, man, I'm really glad I learned that skill. Yeah, it brings up a great point. It's the and Andy Stumpf, I think, was talking about it in his podcast last week or week before last. And it was the, you know, the military is going to get their pound of flesh from you. So by all means, go get yours too. And and take those opportunities. Like for me, tuition assistance, I used the heck out of tuition assistance. I went and finished grad school using tuition assistance. I think I probably have if I totaled it up, I probably, I may have $10,000 in my, in, in my total college education. And that's including books and things like that. And finish, you know, for graduation fees and so on and so forth. And there's probably people that just like to come on here and smack me at out in the civilian worlds for saying that, but that's because I leveraged those opportunities. I took free CLEP exams. I CLEPT, I think around 40 some credit hours, CLEP wow. exams and Dante's exams and those free, I would just go and take them when I was hurt. And I was out of the rotation for dive school. I would go to Tyndall Air Force Base down the road in Panama City, and I would take free CLEP exams. I would just go get study material, take it for you know a couple of weeks, and then go back and take the test, and just keep doing that. So and awesome. then it, it, and, it, and it, they add up, and it just take that, take advantage of all that stuff, and and get that pound of flesh. Absolutely. Yeah. Harrison, I'm uh, I'm so glad you came on here today. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um, anything else as far as uh, soldiers to sign lines that um, you want to put out there while we still got you on the podcast today? Yeah, I mean, even if you're just thinking about it or you just have a um, a passion for sports, visit soldierstosidelines.org, right? And just like sign up, just become a member. It's free, right? So it's name, email, and then you'll stay in touch with all the things, all the events that we're doing. Cause you know, maybe one day you will want to coach and you're going to want to know, um, you know, what events we have going on and how you can get involved and we'll, we'll keep you up to date. So just go ahead and do that. Um, we also do tons of free webinars all the time, um, in social media. I think in 2020, we did 122 live webinars. Um, we have a podcast ourselves. So if you want to hear more stuff like this from some of these great leaders, it's called, um, Harrison Bernstein's Everyday Coach, right? And it's on Spotify and, you know, Apple and everywhere else you can get podcasts. And um, if you're a reader, please go to soldiersofsidelines.org under resources. You can pre-order the book because um, not only is it an entertaining read, I think so because I wrote it. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> um, but at the same time, every time you do that, it's, you're helping an, another service member who wants to become a coach, become a coach in their community. Awesome. Yeah, that's, uh, and we'll put some stuff out on a LinkedIn page too about that. I'll, I'll get on there and, and look at the dates for the events and throw it out there. Definitely, you know, check that out. Um, I went on there a couple of times and looked at the website. I thought it was great. Um, and I'm going to get a copy of the book when I, as soon as I can. Absolutely. Yeah, well, for your order guys, I'm signing it for you with a special message. So be cool. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, so while we're on the topic of coaches, um, you know, thanking Harrison for coming out and, and chatting with us today. Um, before we get off here, uh, I just wanted to wish um, next week uh, Fairmont, West Virginia native uh, Nick Saban, good luck. <laughs> and uh, we'll be eating some pepperoni rolls rooting for you. Awesome. Hey, thanks, thanks. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate you coming on. 
Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net and let us help you get to vet.